So yeah, as, as Scott mentioned, Bruce Cameron is here. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. Bruce, you want to wave at everybody? Say hi. He's right back there. And he'll probably be out here uh, sleeping in his little tent. Um, between services, you can go out there and talk to him. I'm really excited to start a new series with you guys today. We're going to be going through the book of Acts. If you were here last week, hopefully you picked up a reader's guide so that you can read through the book of Acts with us as we go. We're going to cover it in seven uh, messages, which is not enough. Just so you know, it's not enough to cover the book of Acts. That's why it's important that you read along so you're getting the whole story as we go through and kind of hit some important events and highlights uh, over the next seven weeks. Um, this series is designed to help us understand uh, what, what the church is, the purpose of the church, and the purpose of our lives as people who are a part of the church family. And purpose has been a really popular uh, theme in the corporate world and, and business world, uh, really mostly over the last 20 years. I know this, this kind of thing existed before that, but it's been a lot more prevalent in the last 20 years where companies uh, and services will advertise uh, the good that they are doing in the world that has nothing to do with the product or service that you're paying for because they believe that human beings want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. The, probably the classic uh, example, the earliest one I can remember of this is Tom's Shoes. You guys know about Tom's Shoes? You buy a pair of shoes, and for every pair that you buy, they give away a pair of shoes. And uh, that's a, you're going to buy shoes, right? That's, that's their idea is you're going to buy shoes. So why not connect shoe buying for yourself with something bigger than yourself and be a part of, of something that goes beyond you? Um, Amazon is doing something similar. They're talking about reducing their carbon footprint and having a net, net zero carbon footprint by, oh, 2040 or whatever. And then um, they're also looking to be all electric in their vehicles and all those things. Um, and they're doing that. They're telling you this. They could do this privately and in secret, but they're telling you this publicly in their commercials and on their website because they're convinced that you care about the environment and maybe you'll be more likely to use their services because of the good that they're doing in the world. Um, this, this, this is across the board, okay? This is, a lot of companies are jumping in on this. And I, just so you know, I'm not recommending or endorsing any of these. I, I'm not getting any, uh, I'm not getting paid sponsorship for putting these up here. So the next one is uh, Coors. Um, believe it or not, buying a case of this seltzer saves a river somewhere. I, I've looked into this. I don't know how it works. I haven't understood this one yet. But um, they, they assume you're gonna be drinking some kind of beverage and why, why don't we attach some kind of purpose to the beverage that you drink? Maybe you're more likely to drink our beverage if you think that it's gonna save a river somewhere. Still super curious to know how that's happening. How are they saving rivers by uh, you buying uh, seltzer? But the most interesting company I came across is called Kiva. And this company invests in, in uh, microeconomics where they help people uh, around the world who are um, in poverty-stricken areas, uh, third world countries, start businesses. And what you get to do, instead of donating to just start businesses around the world, you are invest your own money. You're actually making business loans with your investment, and then you get a return on, on your investment. It's a really interesting concept to, of, towards investing and in microeconomics, I thought. But these companies, what they've figured out is that they can leverage your desire to be a part of something bigger than yourself to support their, their company. And I think when we, we think about the church, doesn't the church have probably the greatest purpose that could exist that's beyond yourself, right? We know what Christianity and, and a relationship with Jesus can do for us as individuals, 
but we also have this sense of what it can do globally and eternally. All of these companies, the, the, the things that are doing, some of them are great, I guess, but they're all temporary, right? They're, they're all just for this life and this world. But what the church does, what we're a part of as followers of Jesus is eternal and significant to every human being on the planet. So we get to be a part of something that is not just about us feeling good about our experience after we show up at a worship gathering on the weekend, right? It's, it's, not, it's not just about you, it's about something much bigger. And the book of Acts tells this story of the church. But really, the book of Acts is about one specific character. The book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up on almost every page. The, the movement that happens in this story is the movement of the Holy Spirit. Believers pray and the Holy Spirit shows up and the church grows and more people hear the gospel and lives are changed forever. The, the book of Acts is the story of the Holy Spirit working through the church to advance the kingdom of God. And that's, that's what we're gonna dive into here over the next several weeks is to see how the Holy Spirit shows up, works through people to accomplish a purpose that is so much bigger than any individual. And I think that's, that's something that we were born with. The reason why these companies that I talked about earlier recognize this desire in us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves is because that desire is something that God put in you when you're created. And it's intended to be lived out uh, through his purpose for us as followers of Jesus and members of the church. So let's, let's jump into the book of Acts. Hopefully you have a Bible. You can, you can start along with us in Acts chapter one. Acts is part two of a story told by a man named Luke who was a doctor who traveled with the Apostle Paul, got firsthand eyewitness accounts for his gospel, where he gives a biography of the life of Jesus. And then Acts is sort of the continuation. So the gospel of Luke ends with the death and resurrection and then the ascension of Jesus. And Acts sort of overlaps and, and picks up with that story. And it is the continuation, Luke is gonna say, of what Jesus uh, began to do and teach in the world. It's, it's sort of the ongoing story of Jesus. Now, I, I believe God, it's important to God that we understand the purpose of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit. And he could have just given us an essay. He could have had somebody write an essay about the purpose of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit. But uh, aren't you glad that he gave us a story instead? He, he is showing us instead of telling us because he knows we're, we're suckers for a good story, aren't we? And that's, that's what Acts is. And so I hope as you get into this, you read it, you can almost read it like a, a movie script. I mean, there's so much action and, and dynamic work and, and fascinating individuals that we get to follow as we go through this story. So let's pick up Acts chapter one, verse one. Uh, we'll read one through five. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the first book was Luke, and that's where he talked about what Jesus began to do and teach. Verse two, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So already the Holy Spirit has shown up twice in these first five verses. Uh, Jesus, uh, it, Luke mentions that the commands that Jesus gave the disciples came through the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's the means by which Jesus implanted these commands into the hearts 
of his followers. And then he tells them that something new is going to happen regarding the way the Holy Spirit interacts with human beings. So the Holy Spirit has been around since the beginning, right? And he's been involved in uh, the work of God's people and God's kingdom from the very beginning. You, You see the Holy Spirit show up over and over again in the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying something new is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to show up in a new way. And specifically, which we'll, we'll get into uh, here in the next couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit is going to indwell believers. And so this power of God that has sort of been acting upon people um, since the beginning is now going to act within and through people, Jesus, God's people, Jesus' followers. And, and that's, that's a new thing. That's new access to this power. It's kind of like uh, nu- nuclear power. Nuclear power has been around uh, since the beginning, right? There's, there's always been that power inside the nucleus of an atom, right? I think. I'm going to get way over my head science if I don't stop right now. So there's power, there's nuclear power has always existed. But in the 20th century, human beings first began to really unlock that power and have access to it. And our, our first choice in unlocking that power is to use it for destruction. Since then, we have learned how to use it for, uh, for positive things, for uh, energy source, but uh, it's, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit has always been around, but, but Jesus says you're going to have new access to that power, and so don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit shows up, because, 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 what you need to do next, you're, you're going to really want the Holy Spirit to be a part of that. Jesus is indicating that, that something significant is, is coming. <clears throat> He's about to leave, by the way. Jesus is about to Depart from the earth. So it's really important that the disciples understand from Jesus that this this is not over. Nothing is is at an end here. We're we're going to continue. We're going to enter into a new phase of the kingdom of God uh, that's going to be centered in the church and the the movement of the church. Uh, This is what Jesus told uh, Peter. When Peter gave the good confession in Matthew 16, Jesus' response to that was, uh, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The implication there is that the church is going to be a dynamic force, a moving force. The gates of hell don't move, right? Gates don't move. Gates stay in one, one place, and they guard or protect something. But, so if you're going you're gonna to assault the gates, you have to be moving. So he said the church is going to be a moving force. We're going to step into the darkness, into the evil in the world, bringing the light of Christ and the hope of the gospel. So that's why we're calling this series, Church, a moving story, because it's about, it's about this movement. It's not, it's not about emotional movement. It's just about the movement of the Spirit, the dynamic power of the Spirit at work in the church. So let's, let's continue. Let's pick up again in verse 6, 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the disciples have always been, and, and really all of the Jews at, at this time, were under the impression that whenever the Messiah showed up, he was going to be a military political leader. He was, he was going to unite Israel. He was going to forcibly drive the Romans out. And then he was going to reestablish Israel as a powerful nation on the planet. And they, they were sort of, the disciples were sort of up and down in their conviction about, you know, if Jesus was going to do this or not, because he... He was the Messiah, but he didn't really act like the Messiah they thought they were going to get. And so when he died, 
their, their hopes of this ever happening were just crushed. Then he comes back to life and they're like, we're, we're back on, guys. We're back on for the, the conquering of the Romans and the reestablishing of Israel as a nation. So Jesus, tell us when is this going to happen? And Jesus doesn't tell them that it's not going to happen. He doesn't say, uh, that's ne- you know, we're never, Israel's never gonna be a, a nation again. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, the timing of this is a distraction. Like trying to figure out exactly when it, it is a distraction from the actual mission. So you've got a job to do. <clears throat> I need you to just do your job and leave the timing up to God. God will take care of the timing. Don't worry about that. But it's time for you to focus on the job. And I think another message here is that the disciples were trying to interpret the kingdom of God in a way that supported their political views. They were trying to take the the truths of the kingdom of God and then tie them to these political views that they held. Their political views were what's best for us as Jews is that the nation of Israel be restored as a powerful nation on the planet. That, That seemed obvious to them. This, this is what's best for us as Jews. It's for the Romans to be conquered and kicked out and Jesus to be on the throne in Jerusalem. And, and if you can put yourself in their place for just a minute, it makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? Like that seems like what's best. But what Jesus kind of indicated to them is what you're doing is you're interpreting the truth of the kingdom of God based on your own political views. Knock it off. And I believe that he would say the same thing to Christians today, whatever country you live in, we live in America, So it's really important that as Americans, we don't try to interpret the kingdom of God to match our own political views. We let the kingdom of God be priority, speak first, and then whatever political views we may have better line up with the kingdom of God first. Then our allegiance to a party or a position must come further down the line. All right, verse eight. Verse eight, by the way, is the thesis statement for the story of Acts. It is, it is the, the, narr- the narrative focal point through which everything else is gonna flow. And as we read through this, what, what you're gonna see when you read through the book of Acts is you're gonna see Acts 1-8 sort of lived out in the lives of the disciples and the church. So here we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So they had just asked, Jesus, when, when is everything gonna happen? When, when are you really gonna take over and restore the, the kingdom? And he says, don't worry about the timing. Instead, here's what I want you to be thinking about. You have a job to do, and this job is going to be possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. The first movement of the Holy Spirit in the story of the church is to empower believers to bear witness to what Christ has done. When the Holy Spirit shows up to indwell believers, it's to empower them to bear witness to what Christ has done. So Jesus is, the summary of Jesus' ultimate message here is go. This is gonna be your job, go. This is a moving story. This is a story about movement. We're not, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna stay, we're gonna go. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's go time for the church. That's what Jesus uh, wants them to know. So you're gonna be witnesses. So we need to break this concept of witness down a little bit. What, what are they supposed to witness to? We understand the concept of a witness, right? Somebody who uh, testifies in court because of something they saw or heard and said, you know, I promise, I saw this, it's true, it's really, it really happened, I was there. So what are the disciples bearing witness to? 
Well, in Luke's, in part one of Luke's story here, in Luke chapter 24, he, he makes this a little more clear. Let's read verses 46 through 48. And Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Jesus is really clear about what they're witnessing to. You saw me die. You saw me rise from the dead. You have personally repented from your sins and experienced forgiveness. And this gospel message, this is a summary of the gospel right here. This gospel message is gonna be proclaimed all over the world. That's your job, go. That's what they're witnesses of. So friends, we, if, if you have put your trust in the historical event of Jesus's death and his resurrection, if you've repented from sins and received forgiveness, you've been adopted into the family of God, you are a witness. You have experienced something, you've seen something, you've heard something, you've, ex- you've had an encounter with the risen Lord, and you are therefore a witness. This is not something you get to choose. If you, if you see a crime happen, you don't get to decide if you're a witness or not. You saw it, you're a witness. If you've experienced the power of God in your life, you don't get to decide if you wanna be a witness or not. It's not an option. You are a witness to what God has done in your life. So to whom then are we witnesses? Jesus lays this out again very clearly. And he says, first of all, you're gonna be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Now, ultimately, this is where the disciples lived. This is sort of their people. Uh, and it's, it's people who were like them, people that they liked. They understood the culture. Uh, these are people they were close to. This is their family. Jesus says, you're gonna be witnesses to the people close to you that, that get you. They, they understand who you are. They're, they're, they're gonna understand all of your stories and all of your jokes. And it's your people. And we think, that, that sounds pretty easy, right? I could be a witness to, to my people. But isn't it true that sometimes the people closest to us are the most difficult ones to share our faith with? Why is that? Well, because in your family or your close friends, we work hard to maintain equilibrium, right? We wanna keep status quo because these are the people we have to see at holidays and birthdays and special events. We're gonna have to see them. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to sit down at a table and eat a meal with them. And so if we disrupt the status quo or the peace of the family because we're, we're sharing things that are uncomfortable. I mean, the, the message of the gospel is countercultural. The message of the gospel has got tension built into it because it brings along the message that we are sinners in need of a savior. And if we're, if we're gonna be witnesses to people close to us, we have to be willing to disrupt the peace a little bit. We have to be willing to make people uncomfortable. That's a difficult step to take with people that we're close to. But Jesus tells them, you're gonna be witnesses, first of all, to the people that you like and the people that are like you. I would love for you as we go through this to just think of some names. Who are the people that are close to you that you like that really need to hear the truth of the gospel? The next group of people that Jesus tells them they're gonna to witness to are the people in Samaria. This is on the other end of the uh, friendship continuum, okay? They're, these are the people that you don't like and they are not like you. They, they, don't, they don't have the same culture as you. They don't have the same beliefs uh, as you. Uh, they don't eat the same kinds of food. They don't speak the same language. And the Jews did not like the Samaritans. Uh, they, they considered them a problem in their area. They looked down on them. They considered them less than human. 
The Jews were sort of like the ultimate human. Samaritans are less than human in the eyes of the Jews. And yet Jesus says, these people deserve the good news just as much as you do. Because none of you really deserve. You're created. They're created in the image of God just as you are. They're loved by God just as you are. Jesus died for their sins just as much as he did your sins. And so you're gonna witness to the people that you don't like and that are not like you. Jesus is making it really clear that we don't get a pass to be unkind to, to ignore, to neglect people that we don't like, who are different from us, who do things that we would never do, who think things that we can't understand. We don't get a pass on saying, well, someone else should witness to them. Jesus says, no, you, you are gonna witness to them. Maybe, maybe there are some names that come to mind. They think, that's, you know, I've got, I've got some people at work I'd just rather not be around. There's people at school. There's people in my neighborhood that I, I, I kind of actively try to avoid, had a bad encounter. Maybe those are the people that God has put in your Samaria that, that you are supposed to be witnessing to. And by witness, again, what we're talking about is you're, you're telling them what God has done in your life. You're just bearing witness to the work of Jesus to forgive you, to rescue you from sin and set you free. Doesn't everyone need to hear that message? Is there anybody that, you, that, that deserves it less than you do? Jesus tells the disciples, you're gonna, you're gonna bear witness to me in Samaria, to people that are not like you and people you don't like because they deserve forgiveness. I died for them too. And finally, Jesus says, you're gonna bear witness uh, to the ends of the earth. These are people that you've never met, you never heard of, uh, you, you, you don't know what country they live in, you don't know what language they speak, you don't know what they look like, you don't know anything about their culture, and you're supposed to bear witness to them. And we kind of think, how are we gonna do that? And then I'm sure the disciples were thinking, how are we gonna do that? How, how, are, we gonna, how are we gonna reach the ends of the earth? Jesus, we, we've never really been outside of Palestine. We don't, we, we, don't, we don't travel worldwide, we don't even understand how big the world is. How are we gonna do that? So it's important at this point to recognize that Jesus is not only talking to individual disciples. He's not just talking to Peter. He's not just talking to Matthew. He's talking to the church. And he says, collectively, as a church, you're going to bear witness. And this is, this is how we do this today, is we, we bear witness around the world through the church globally. The church is much bigger than what happens here in Cicero, Indiana, or in the United States of America. It's global. The church is actually thriving much more successfully in other parts of the world than it is here in our country. And we get to bear witness, and we do this through missionaries, even through the ARC uh, Christian Ministries. They, they're a part of global um, witness-bearing efforts through their internship and residency programs. You can talk to Bruce about that later. He can explain that to you better. But we partner with several organizations to make sure that we are bearing witness to the truth of the gospel all over the world, the people that we've, you are never gonna meet, you, you may never hear of. But we also want you to meet them and hear of them. And so uh, we're gonna start offering, hopefully soon, uh, we're gonna figure this uh, COVID thing out and it's gonna start offering some short-term missions trips again here soon because we want you to encounter and engage with and interact with people that speak a different language than you, that have a very different culture from you and people that need to hear what God has done in your life. And truthfully, you need to hear what God has done in their lives. And so we're, we partner with people that are gonna open those doors for us because we are in this story. This is the story of us 
This is the story of the church. We're still in this story. We're, we're, we're continuing the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one of those uh, books that ends with like an ellipsis, the three dots, you know? It's like there's and to be continued. And we're in that to be continued part um, as we're waiting for the return of Jesus. So let's, let's get to that real quick. Let's, uh, verses nine through 11. And when, they had, uh, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus gives them this huge mission, drops this incredible um, privilege and responsibility on them and then says, see ya, good luck, go get him. Can't wait to see how you do. And he's gone. And they're just standing there, staring up into the sky with their jaws hanging open and maybe tears streaming down their faces. And then these two people show up and say, what are you looking at? The the mission's not up there. The the mission is here. And he's gonna come back. Isn't that good news? He's gonna come back. This is not a job that is just gonna go on indefinitely I mean, it's an important mission, right? If, if the whole world is supposed to hear the good news about Jesus, that's an important mission. It's a big job. But it's not a job that's gonna go on indefinitely with, without an end in sight. Have you ever had one of those jobs where you're, you're like, this is just busy work. This is, I'm never going to finish whatever this is. I'm never gonna finish it. I, I could do this for the rest of my life and it would never be done. Those kind of jobs are really discouraging. I think of uh, the movie Wally. Do you guys remember the movie Wally? It's about this little robot. Um, at the beginning, he's cleaning up the planet because humans just made a mess of it, destroyed it. And he's just, he's just a trash man, basically. And he's just cleaning up trash. And then it kind of zooms out and you see how, how much like the whole planet is covered with trash. And you're like, Wally's never gonna get that done. Like in a million years, Wally, Wally would never clean up that planet, right? All by himself. That's why it was a robot in that story, not a human, because humans would never do that. We would never take on a job that couldn't be finished. And Jesus knows this. The angels that show up know this. They're like, there is an end in sight. Jesus is coming back. You don't have, you don't have to think like this is not a, a doable, possible mission. Jesus will come back. And that's what we're looking forward to, right? Friends, every, every time, I, that's one of the first things that comes to my mind every time I watch the news is, man, I can't wait till, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Because man, he's gonna make everything right. He, he's gonna bring a new creation. There's a lot of things that I'd like to move on from in this world. And Jesus is gonna make that happen. So uh, we have a job to do. It has an end in sight. There is an end point. Uh, Jesus is coming back. There there will be a a final chapter to the book of Acts someday that will end with the return of Christ. But until then, you and I are living in this story, this moving story of the Holy Spirit working through the church to advance the kingdom. That's what we're gonna talk about for the next seven weeks. So I, I want you to... Get that phrase down. I didn't put it on the screen because I, I, I believe that you guys are smart and you can remember this, but we're gonna say it out loud together. I'm gonna say it and then I'm gonna ask you to say it. This is, the, this is the theme of the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit working through the church to advance the kingdom. You got that? Say it with me. The book of Acts is the Holy Spirit working through the church to advance the kingdom. That's it. Friends, this is our story. We're right here in this story. So the the question I just want to leave you with um, as we close is, are you a witness? Are you a witness? 
Again, this is not like a choice. Like, I'm not asking you to decide if you want to be a witness or not. What I'm asking is, has God done work in your life that you can bear witness to? Has God forgiven you of your sins? Has he opened a relationship with God to you? Has God been good to you? Has he seen you through difficult times? Has he, has he given you cause to celebrate? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, you are a witness. So then we just have to ask, are we living as a witness? Are we living as a witness? You remember what Jesus said uh, about the Holy Spirit? He said, don't, don't go. I mean, he tells them to go, right? But he says, don't go until what? Until the Holy Spirit shows up. <laughs> he says, guys, this, this is a job that you cannot do by yourself. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, you don't have to worry about where the power is gonna come from. This is like nuclear power unleashed in your life. The way Paul says it in Romans chapter eight is that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Is that enough power to get done what you need to get done? Absolutely, absolutely. So step one, if we're gonna live as witnesses, we have got to get in tune with the Holy Spirit. We have got to surrender ourselves to the power of the spirit in our lives. This is what we're gonna see as we go through because the book of Acts is what? It's the Holy Spirit working through the church to advance the kingdom. We're the church, so we have got to open ourselves up to what the Spirit is trying to do in our lives. That means we've gotta listen well and obey. We've gotta listen well and obey the Spirit if we're gonna live as witnesses. And then finally, we need to develop an affection and compassion for people that don't know Jesus. I think it's really easy for us to have pity for people that don't know Jesus. Have you ever been through something difficult and you know it was your faith in God and your relationship with Christ that got you through that difficult thing and you had this thought or maybe you said it out loud, I don't know how people without God in their lives get through. Man, isn't that true? I don't know either. But sometimes what I think that produces in us is sort of this pity. Man, I feel so sorry for people that don't know God. Well, pity is not the same as affection and compassion. And I think what we're called to have as witnesses is affection, like care, like I actually care. I'm not just, I don't just feel sorry for you that you don't know Christ. I care. That matters to me. It means something to me. And compassion is what compels me to do something. Affection means I care. Compassion says I'm gonna do something about it because I care about you because I know that what's best for you is to hear the truth about what Jesus has done for you then I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna live it out in a way that makes it abundantly clear. Are you a witness? If you're a witness, then I just want you to wrestle with these questions as we close. Are you listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit? And do you have affection and compassion for people that don't know Christ? Would you just bring those questions before the Father with us? Would you stand? We're gonna pray. I'm just gonna ask you to pray those questions. The questions are, am I a witness? If the answer is yes, am I listening to and obeying the Spirit? Do I have affection and compassion for the lost? Would you pray those questions with me and just let the Spirit convict your heart? Do whatever he wants to do in your heart. Let's bring that before the Father. Father, thank you so much for uh, putting us in the story of the Spirit at work in the church to advance your kingdom. And my prayer uh, this morning is, Father, that you would, you would convict me 
about my habits and practices of listening to and obeying your spirit, and you would convict me about my heart towards the lost, and you would develop in me affection for and compassion for people that don't know Christ. God, would you do that in me, and would you do that through my brothers and sisters who are here today as well? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I I believe that this mission that Jesus gave the disciples is ongoing. It's for us. The plan A, God's plan A for accomplishing this mission is the church, and there's not a plan B. So it's up to us. We we need to decide, are we gonna step into this and be a part of this uh, or not? I, I want you to know, if you're, if you're considering a step of faith, baptism into Christ or some other step of faith that you wanna share with us, we'd love to talk to you. If, if you wanna talk to one of our pastors, you can find us out in the lobby afterwards or just text this, uh, respond to this number uh, on the screen. We'd love to connect with you. But I just wanna encourage you to wrestle with these questions as we uh, sing this song and that, that as you go out from here, um, these, these questions sort of rattle around your head and you let the Holy Spirit kind of work in your heart today. Let's sing.